Welcome to The Motivated Mind, where I challenge you to expand your perspective on how to achieve a successful life through motivational lessons, reflections, and interviews with other motivated minds. Motivated Mind, a top 100 health podcast, thanks to each of you. This is episode 362, and I'm your host, Scott Lynch. Thanks so much for listening. If I've brought you any value, please be sure to leave a review and hit that subscribe or follow button. Don't be a stranger. Shoot me a DM on Instagram or Facebook and let me know what you want to hear more of. And please be sure to share the podcast. Today we have another special guest that joins the pod, Nick Hutchinson, author of Rise of the Reader, Strategies for Mastering Your Reading Habits and Applying What You Learn, which just launched on November 1st. He's also the founder of Book Thinkers, a digital marketing agency that supports mission-driven authors and the host of the podcast, Book Thinkers, Life-Changing Books. Nick's interviewed well-known business celebrities and authors such as Grant Cardone, Ryan Holiday, Robert Greene, and Alex Hormozzi. Nick and I dive into establishing an intention before delving into a book and the benefits of purposeful reading, applying effective techniques and frameworks to enhance your reading routine, shifting our perspective on reading, the inception of book thinkers and Nick's journey growing it to 10 employees and supporting over 100 authors annually, Nick's top five all-time favorite books, his method of note-taking for organizing knowledge from the books he reads, and the purpose of rereading a book multiple times, the fascinating changes in perspective following interviews with renowned authors such as Robert Greene and Ryan Holiday, leveraging an activity tracker with friends for mutual accountability, and lastly, Nick's gratitude time capsule and ways you can integrate it into your weekly routine. I hope you all enjoy our conversation. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for podcasters, I feel like it's allowed me to be more creative because I've been able to simplify the admin aspect of my podcast and focus on developing more valuable and creative content. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. I'm curious, obviously you read a shit ton of books. There's a bunch of books behind you, which by the way, my OCD 
loves it. They're all color coordinated. <laughs> How did you get into reading? What was that like inspiration? Obviously, there's millions and millions of books out there, but what kind of got you attracted to reading in the first place? Well, Scott, I was not a reader growing up, uh, which doesn't come as a surprise to my friends and family, but maybe to the book thinkers community, that's a little bit of a shocker. So nowadays I read about a hundred books a year, but back then you could not pay me to read a book. And that continued into college. So I didn't love school when I was in high school. I didn't love school very much when I was in college. As we were talking about prior to pressing record, I went to UNH. And going into my senior year, I took an internship at a local software company in Lee, New Hampshire. And at this internship, my sales mentor, my boss at the time, his name was Kyle, he introduced me to the world of podcasting. So a conversation just like this, where a host would interview a guest every once in a while, and that guest would talk about what they did to become successful. And I had about an hour commute each way that summer to this internship. And so I started listening to a ton of podcasts and every episode, the guest would talk about the books that made them successful. They were always giving credit to books. And here I am, somebody deliberately choosing, intentionally choosing not to read books. And eventually it hit me, sort of smacked me in the face. Like if I'm choosing not to read books, I'm choosing to live under my potential. I'm choosing not to mimic the habits and behaviors of all of these successful people. And so I decided to embrace that. I decided to start reading and I went to my local Barnes and Noble. It was, uh, it was in New Hampshire. What's the name of that mall? I can't remember, but close to you. And I went to a Barnes and Noble and I decided to pick up about 10 books. And because that internship was not very demanding, I had to be there for eight hours a day, but I really only had four or five hours of responsibility. I'd close the office door and I'd start to read. And instantly I became hooked. I mean, instantly I realized that these books were condensing decades of information into days of reading and I've never looked back. A hundred books a year. Yes. That's a lot of, lot of books to read in, in one year. So the media in which you're consuming, is it audiobook, podcast format, you know, physically reading the books? How does that break down for you? Okay. Out of a hundred books, I'm probably reading 70 physical paper books. I'm probably listening to 29 and I'm probably on an e-reader for one. So that's the typical breakdown for me. Okay. Okay. One of the things that I've experienced, I'm not even close to that number of books per year. Maybe 15 books is what I'm chewing through right now. And one of the reasons for that is my note taking. Any of these books that are on my shelf have about 75 sticky notes jammed in them with points that I'm like, oh, that's great, or folding the ear. So let me take a step back. The average human being processes about 34 gigabytes of information every single day. That is the equivalent of watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy back to back 10 times. And most of that information we do not digest. And so your processing power, maybe it's part of that, maybe it's the habit or the systems that you've built in order to digest all of that information, because obviously you've made quite a successful career with book thinkers. So how are you processing a hundred books a year and all of this wisdom that these authors are packing into these books? Well, one of the subjects that we talked about before I press record was the power of setting an intention for each book that you're reading. And this, the idea here is to be selective. So I remember reading Think and Grow Rich for the first time and having, I think, 
I know it was over 100, maybe 200 separate items that I wanted to review consistently, try to retain and implement. That's not realistic. So what I've realized over time is that the more selective I can be, the better I can be. So I like to set an intention that follows the SMART goal framework for each book I read. This is a book that I just decided to read, so I haven't set the intention for it yet. It's called Amplify Your Influence, Transform How You Communicate and Lead. And so when I look at this, there are probably 25 or 30 things that I could implement, but I'll set something a little bit more realistic. So specific, measurable, attainable, actionable, written or relevant, and time-bound. So my intention for this book, Amplify Your Influence, is probably going to end up being find and implement at least two strategies for improving my communication and leadership by the end of next week. That way, as I'm reading through the book, I'm filtering for two strategies that I can implement before the the end of next week to improve my communication. I think sometimes we get overwhelmed, like you're talking about, with the amount of information that we process every day. And so I'm just looking for the 20% of takeaways in this book that can lead to 80% of the potential impact. I'm trying to be as selective as possible to do more with less, as Greg McEwen would say, his best-selling book, Essentialism. And that's allowed me to be much more intentional, to read more, and actually get more from the books. I'm not looking to implement all of the low impact stuff, just the highest impact stuff from each book. I love that 80-20 rule that you're applying there, right? Focus on the 20% that will lead to 80% of the output. I love that thought process, that approach. Yeah. If, if you have 20 takeaways from a book, they're not all equivalent to 5% of the change, right? There's probably two, three, or four things that are going to lead to most of the change. So I just choose to implement those. What about your taking a step back? You said earlier, like... <laughs> You know, maybe to some of the book thinkers in the organization, it might come to a surprise that you are never a reader. Okay, so you you start talking to these individuals that are successful. You realize, oh, there's a common thread that's running through each of these people, and it's that they read, and they read a lot, and they retain the information that they read. And I heard this on your Instagram, one of the reels that you posted, that your friend saying, hey, love what you're doing at Book, book Thinkers, but I'm just not a reader myself. I, I feel like that's most of people. So if we're not a reader, but we want to set the intention of becoming a reader for whatever that specific intention might be, how did you start to build habits to ensure that you kept on reading? Yeah, there are so many different ways that I could answer this question, Scott. Uh, what happened with me was when I opened my very first book, which was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I was looking to solve a problem. I didn't have much financial literacy. I didn't understand the language of money. And I was really insecure when those subjects were brought up. I was at a business school. And so those subjects were brought up all the time. And so as uh, Robert Kiyosaki in that book started to teach me about the importance of understanding how money worked and gave me the language to understand it, I was just completely absorbed. I mean, I was reading and taking notes on every single page. It was all brand new to me. And so I think that the desire to solve a major problem in my life is what originally kept me reading these books. Over time, I've developed a few different systems and frameworks that I think the average person could implement. The first, and, and this math is pretty interesting. The first is that if you choose to replace Find is tough. People say, I can't find the time to read. Well, don't try to find the time. Just replace low impact activities like maybe 15 minutes in the morning of Instagram 
and maybe the first 15 minutes of your Netflix in the evening with reading a good book. So 15 minutes of reading for somebody who's just starting out might be about 10 pages. If you can read 10 pages in the morning and 10 pages in the evening, five days a week, again, not replacing Instagram or shutting off Netflix, but just replacing the first 15 minutes of each, that's 100 pages a week. If a good nonfiction book is 200 or 250 pages, that's a book every two or two and a half weeks. So all of a sudden, with a small change, 15 minutes twice a day, you can read 20 books a year, maybe even more. And so that's how I like to encourage people to start. And I think the Instagram post that you were referring to, I like to say to people, oh, you can't read books? What if I paid you $10,000 to read a book by the end of next week? Do you think you could do it? And I remember somebody commented on that video and they're like, I'll read 10. And that's the joke is that you'll read if properly incentivized. If you're currently not reading, it means you don't value it enough. And so when I look at these books, I see money, I see potential, I see energy, I see downloading decades of somebody else's lived experience into days of my own life. And that energizes me. It just brings me life. And so 15 minutes twice a day, 20 books a year. I mean, come on. It can't be easier than that. Right. I love your perspective there. And I, it, isn't it somewhat fascinating because we have thousands and thousands of courses out there, which obviously range from $20 to $20,000 that you can take. A lot of them are packed with a lot of wisdom, but a $14 book, $20 book packed with a millionaire or billionaire's life story and what they did right, what they did wrong, the lessons they learned, I feel is such an invaluable piece of data crammed between two covers. And that is priceless when you do start to read to say, oh my God, this is like a, a cheat sheet. And everybody wants the quick, you know, I, I use this term a lot too, but hacks in life. And it's like, well, there are hundreds of thousands of books out there that have all of what you're looking for within them. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I say habits and hacks a lot as well. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is I decided to write my first book, Rise of the Reader, because over the years growing my community on Instagram, I've had hundreds of people say to me some variation of, hey, Nick, thank you for the recommendations. Super cool. In fact, I've read a few of those books, but I'm having a tough time translating that information into action. And I know you're doing it. You're growing a business, you're having fun, you're traveling, life seems good. How are you doing it? And each time I would respond to one of those messages, I'd send a voice note back on an IG DM or maybe type out a few paragraphs, even offer to get on a half an hour call with somebody and talk to them about my process. But I would always get off of those calls or send those messages and then feel like I was underserving my community because I knew that I was doing so much more than what I was able to communicate in such a short period of time. And eventually I just thought this has to be a book. Like I have to write a book about how to implement books because I know my community is already reading. This is what they want to improve on. And through that process, it took me a long time to realize what I was doing. I mean, I had to really go back and put language and articulate the, the, the systems and processes and frameworks that I was doing naturally, you know, and I had iterated over hundreds of books, but I had to go back and like figure out what's happening here. Well, it's interesting too, looking back at, you know, the the guests that James sent over and some of the videos that I've seen and the guests that you've brought on, even guests that you've passed along to us, Kristen Butler, who we were talking about earlier, you are 
a very strong bridge between the amount of information that you're extracting out of books and helping to educate people that maybe reading isn't their thing for whatever reason, or they don't have the time for whatever reason. So you have now compounded all of this wisdom and knowledge that quite frankly, probably took hundreds of years for the individuals that wrote the book collectively to have brought that knowledge to the world. And now you're holding it and not only holding it, but you're sharing it, which is the extremely powerful piece. Yeah, absolutely. If if I've read 500 books and the average book details at least 20 years of somebody else's experience, that's over a thousand hours. Uh, I mean, a thousand years, sorry, of lived experience. And then when you look at one simple book like Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson, well, Apple's a trillion dollar company. So does that mean that it literally has over a trillion dollars worth of lived experience inside of it? I mean, I think it does. It's pretty cool when you think about it like that. Yeah. It's invaluable information. It's hard to measure the power of the information, but obviously the information is serving you and there's a place and a need for it, right? Because of the business that you've grown, the individuals that you've connected with, um, and the individuals you continue to connect with. Yeah. And, you know, when I look at the work that I'm doing, I think there's the technical aspect of it. Like, yes, I'm teaching people frameworks for implementation and note-taking that could lead to better action. But I'm also trying to communicate to people that each of us is capable of designing a life that is uniquely fulfilling to us. And you can do it so much more efficiently by reading and implementing these books. And so, yeah, I, you know, at one point I realized I had all this unfulfilled potential and the books could help me close the gap. And then I closed the gap. And now I live a life where I'm truly fulfilled. And I see so many other people who, unfortunately, they don't live lives of fulfillment or joy. They live lives of anxiety and depression, and they're living under their potential, and they just don't know how to get out of that rut. And it's like, that stinks. Because like you said before, $14, $20 in a few hours of your time, and you can solve these problems. You can actually do that. There's a book for almost every problem. Yeah, I just... So many people choose not to read and uh, bums me out sometimes. Yeah. So how did book thinkers become a thing? You touched on a, a fraction of it early on, you know, graduating from UNH, realizing, oh, crap, I need to start reading. There's a lot of value here. But how did it blossom into the business that it's become today? Where did it start? Where are you today? Bring us through that. Sure. So I took a full-time job out of school with that same company that I was interning at. And as I'm reading, I know that I want to start a business. In fact, I ran a house painting business when I was in college, and I knew that I was a better entrepreneur than employee, but I needed to learn from a bigger organization and save up a little bit more money before I started my own thing. So I was meeting with a few friends, and we decided that we wanted to create a website to document our favorite takeaways from the books we were reading. That was version 1.0 of Book Thinkers, and didn't really go anywhere as we were building that website, we thought, what if we built a mobile application that could help readers retain and implement more from the books they were reading? So we decided to start that. We actually paid a development company in South America to start building this thing. And in anticipation of that mobile application, we started to build a social media presence. Now, spoiler alert, long story short, the mobile app never came to be, but the social media following started to grow. And so as these other guys got a little burned out with book thinkers, 
I really found enjoyment in posting book reviews and growing my audience and connecting with like-minded people. And the first successful monetization opportunity at the business came because an author DM me one day and said, hey, Nick, I love what you're doing. Your audience looks like my target reader for this book. I think if I pay you for a book review, I could probably sell a few copies. So would you be willing to do that? And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, I can get paid to read. I'm reading for free already. Why not try it out? And so that was the very first iteration of the business itself. The first dollar that went from somebody else's account into our business account, paid book reviews. And so I started to do some more paid book reviews. And then I would eventually prospect and I'd reach out to authors and offer to help them promote their books. And each time I would end those engagements, and now we're talking about a period of years right now, but each time I would end those engagements, I would always ask my author clients, hey, is there anything else that I can help with? I want this to be my full-time job. I'm willing to do the work. I'm willing to try things out, social media management, podcast booking, content creation, a whole bunch of other stuff that didn't work. And uh, as they would say yes, I would iterate and change things and work and measure the ROI and the impact and kind of fast forward until today, we've got a team of 10 and uh, BookThinker serves over a hundred authors a year in some type of paid capacity. So yeah, there were a lot of failures and, and a lot of missed shots and missed attempts and stuff along that path. But yeah, it took a while. I'm curious, has it now gotten to the point, the business where there's more inbound than there is outbound effort from the network that, that you've built? Yeah, I would say it's about 50-50, and that's probably because we do a lot of outbound. But yeah, most of, I would say about half of the clients that we're working with are referrals from other clients, and that's a beautiful place to be, as you know, as I'm sure you know. Mm -hmm. Out of all these books that you've read, this might be a somewhat impossible question, or maybe you've gotten it before, so I apologize early on here. Out of all the books that you've read, what would you say maybe top three, five pick a number, single digits, that you're like, these were the most impactful books in my life that if someone's like, hey, Nick, what are some books you would recommend? These are like the foundational books that you would recommend to people. Well, the very first book that I read was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And that book opened up the floodgates. It taught me what was possible. And so I have to give credit to that book. For anybody listening today, Scott, that's not a reader, it's a great place to start because it's only about 200 pages, very simple language, easy to understand. There will be a lot of aha moments for you. And it sold 35 million copies or something, which proves its worth. So that's a great place to start. I think after that, the next book that had the biggest impact on me, and maybe it was a, about a year later, two years later, was The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. I'm a big Tim Ferriss fan because of what he's done for me. I read that book and I realized that we can create a life that's uniquely fulfilling to us. We can design something that might not meet society's expectations for us, but will surely meet our own. And so that gave me the confidence to start traveling internationally, to embrace discomfort. And that put an interesting constraint on my business as I was growing it, where we had to be remote. And so I had to automate, delegate, eliminate a lot of the low impact activities as I was building this business. And Tim gave me the framework for all of those things. Next up was The Go-Giver, but that's by Bob Berg and John David Mann. I was given that book originally at an interview when I was still in college, interviewing around and uh, ended up reading it a little bit later on. And that book teaches the importance of 
the reciprocal nature of giving and receiving, like the importance of giving, but also staying open to receiving so that you can give more and then eventually receive more. And it's this really interesting reciprocal relationship. And I love that book. It's a business parable. So it's a fictional story, but it's super powerful. I'll mention two more since you set up to five. $100 million offers by Alex Hormozzi. That's a book that I read once last year, once this year, and it's had a major impact on my business. I mean, we literally 4X to revenue within a few months of reading that book for the first time because it is that valuable. And fortunately, we were able to have Alex on our podcast and thank him for writing the book. And it was a super cool experience. And the last book that I'll mention is The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. That book teaches the importance of small steps, little tiny manageable steps in the right direction over a long period of time. And it talks about how they will compound into this exponential progression, like a hockey stick curve. All of a sudden, things are great. Yeah, the compound effect is like the eighth wonder of the world, as Einstein would say. And so it's a fantastic book. I hope I hope that wasn't too long. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm sure you could keep going, but that, that was perfect. I saw that you had Alex on, which is uh, awesome. I actually know someone that went to Vanderbilt with uh, Alex Hormozzi. One of the things I was going to ask that you had just mentioned was you read his book a few times already, right? So this kind of two-part here. For you, what's the intention or purpose of reading the book again? And then number two, even though you're looking for 20%, you have an intention with with a book, you're looking for the 20% that's going to give you the 80%. Do you or have you built a system to collect this information? Like a digital catalog in a way like this is the juiciest material within this book that served my intention and I'm storing it here that I can reference it later. Or are you simply doing what you just said with Alex Ramosi's book where you're reading through it for it to ignite those ideas and those thoughts and that wisdom again? Great questions. I'll address the second one first, which is that I do have an online notebook. I use Evernote where I categorize my biggest takeaways from each book that I read. So there is a documentation of that. It's online. And I love to review my biggest takeaways from books that I read years ago, sporadically, randomly, just repetition leads to retention. And so I love to review information as often as I can. Um, But back to your first question, I choose to read a book for a second, third, fourth, or fifth time for a few different reasons. I think each time I, I read a book, if a little bit of time has passed, I'm almost reading it with a new perspective from a different lens. And so I'm seeing different information or maybe it's serving a different purpose. You know, the first time that I read $100 million offers by Alex Hormozzi, I was looking for a way to essentially find a new service that I could offer to my target client that was much higher ticket. And so I went through his book, I went through the frameworks and the exercises, and I found that service. That was the change, the thing that I wanted to implement. And so I did. The second time I went through the book, I was looking at ways to improve that offer itself. So I found the offer the first time through. The second time through, the intention was, how can I improve this offer? Is it speed of delivery? Is it the effort and sacrifice that my customers have to put in? Is it their perceived likelihood of achievement? Like, what can I, what variables can I improve so that this service becomes a no brainer? And yeah, I'll, I'll find completely new things each time I read a book. I mean, I've probably read Rich Dad, Poor Dad like 10 times now. <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, now it's more of a real estate investment book to me. Whereas when I originally read it, it was like a general personal development, personal finance book. So same book, just different human being reading it. You know what I mean? Right. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because first of all, I love the idea of the intention, right? You're going in with a specific reason. So most likely you're going to extract the things that fall in line with the intention. But let's just say, because I believe most people don't read that way, right? They pick up the book because it sounds interesting. And if they get some golden nuggets in it, they're like, oh, this is great. This is awesome. I could use this somehow. But I also love the mindset and the perspective that you apply to it because we are such different beings over 12 months, 24 months. And all of a sudden we realize, oh crap, that's what that means. Or that's what that's alluding to. It's very similar to when we watch a movie. How many times have we watched a really good movie and then we pause it and go, did you ever notice that? Or did you notice like now his shirt's buttoned up? Whereas the scene before you start to pick up on all those little details and I love this idea of, yeah, but I'm a different person now than I was yesterday. So most likely I'm going to extract something different out of this book now today. Yeah, that there's a metaphor. I think it's a Buddhist metaphor about you'll never step in the same river twice for two reasons. The river has changed, but you've also changed. And yeah, it's very similar with books, although the books probably aren't changing. When it comes to reading, having a system and platform to collect, store, and summarize your newfound knowledge is crucial. Notion has been my go-to platform for the last few months, where I've been utilizing Notion AI to enhance my note-taking process, enabling me to concentrate on the insights from the books I read. Notion combines your notes and docs into one space that's simple, beautifully designed, and with the power of AI built right inside. Notion AI helps you work faster, write better, and think bigger, doing tasks that normally take you hours in just seconds. Save time and write faster by letting Notion AI handle the brainstorm and first draft or turn your messy notes into something polished. Try Notion AI for free when you go to notion.com slash motivated. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash motivated to try out the incredible power of Notion AI today. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show. Try Notion AI for free right now at notion.com dot com slash motivated. You've brought on who's it? Robert Green, I think you had brought on mm -hmm. to you've interviewed interviewed before. When you bring on these individuals after reading some of their books, he has what the 48 powerless. I mean, he has a ton of books, right? To you, the difference between do you have a perception of who they are before you're jumping and interviewing these guys, right? And for you, is it a surprise who they are compared to the book, the books that you've read of theirs? Sometimes, for sure. I mean, I try to do my due diligence. Sometimes that due diligence includes listening to podcasts that they've been on. I think in the early stages, I would just read their book and then I would interview them. And so Robert Greene is a really interesting example. So I'm happy you brought him up. Robert Greene, his first book, The 48 Laws of Power, was a New York Times bestseller. It's the most banned book in the US prison system. How cool is that? And so he also has five other New York Times bestsellers, but that book, I was, I was interested in interviewing him on that book. So I pushed, hey, not a more recent book. Let's go back to 48 Laws. It's been out for 20 years. And when you read the book, you think, 
wow, this guy, Robert, must be taking advantage of everyone. Like, what a dark soul. And then you get on and you realize, no, he wrote the book because he wanted to expose the Hollywood elite who would pretend to be for the best social services, but behind the scenes, it's all about money and power. He was writing it to expose people doing bad things. He was writing it on the defensive. You can read the book, choose not to implement it on the offensive, but use it to protect yourself and see what other power laws other people might be using to take advantage of you. And so I'm sitting here thinking, well, (laughs) I thought he was a dark guy. He's actually fighting for good. How cool is that? I'll give one more example too, which is Ryan Holiday. I've read 10 Ryan Holiday books, and I thought Ryan Holiday was a very stoic guy. And then I have Ryan Holiday on the show, and I ask him, hey, man, are you carrying the baton? Like, are you the next in line? Are you the next stoic philosopher? And he's like, no, not even close. He's like, I'm just a writer who tries to practice stoicism because I think it's good for you, but I'm a writer. I'm not a stoic philosopher. And so sometimes you you do paint this picture when you're just reading somebody's book that's not an accurate view of who they are as a person. Well, it's so it's so interesting because when you a movie comes out f- with a book, right? They always say, "Well, the movie is never as good as the book because your imagination factory can build it to whatever extent and how are you going to actually make that into a film, right? It's not going to fit everybody. It might just fit your viewpoint, but there's no way in hell it's going to fit everybody else's viewpoint." But wasn't Ryan Holiday didn't he apprentice with Robert Greene? Like they are really close, right? He did. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's how I was able to kind of have both of them on the show at the same time. I think, I think that Robert said yes. And then I told Ryan that Robert said yes. And he was like, fine, if Robert's doing it, I'll do it too. (laughs) You know, it was in the early days of my show, man. Like I think I was still within the first 25 episodes or something. Mm, Interesting. I want to revert back to earlier what we're talking about around habits and creating habits to, to read and some of the things that we can do. In all honesty, over the years, I have read more and more, but I'm still not to the goal where I want to be. One of the most effective things that I have done for reading, for example, I make my coffee in the morning after I'm finished working out. I have my book right beside my Keurig. So as the coffee is even being poured and I'm sipping my coffee, I'm at least reading. And this goes back to your point around compounding. Five, 10 pages that you can read through every single day, every single week, every single month, every year, that's quite a bit of, of reading that you can fit in. So what are some other habits, frameworks that we can apply to read more? I know you were mentioning earlier like, hey, I'm not saying cancel out Instagram, right? You could still do that for five, 15 minutes, et cetera. But what are other some other ways that we can habit stack? James Clear with Atomic Habits, right? Had a lot of these ideas where, well, you're already doing this. So how can you combine this with something that you're an intention you're trying to set, in this case, reading? I think a, a great habit stack could be driving in the car and listening to an audiobook. You know, I everybody loves to listen to music. I'm not a robot, I'm a human. I love to listen to music too. But listening to a song for the 500th time is not going to get you closer <laughs> to achieving your dreams. <laughs> yeah, right? But listening to this podcast might and listening to an audiobook that will di- directly solve one of the problems that you're facing in your life might. And so that was a big aha for me. So I, most people listening to this show, you might even be listening right now in the car. 
consider putting on more educational content and less entertaining content while you're in the car or while you're cleaning at home or, you know, while you're at the gym, that type of thing. I think that's another way to habit stack uh, where you're already doing something else and you could replace whatever you were doing as the complimentary activity with something a little bit more educational. You know, like you said, scheduling reading time, 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the evening, that's 20 books a year. You could do the same thing on weekends. I try to read just like you do. I try to read when my energy is at its peak. And so just like you, I exercise in the morning, then I come home and have caffeine. The exercise endorphins plus the caffeine, that's the best time for me to read books. And so I'm able to digest and implement more. And we were going to touch on this a little bit earlier, and then I forgot to bring it up, but I have an activity tracker that I've built out that manages my life. And so each and every time I find something that I'd like to implement, I plug it into my activity tracker. On top of that, I have an accountability group that meets on a weekly basis. It's a small group. I actually have two of them. And we talk about our activity trackers. Like somebody might say, hey, Nick, I saw that you just added some new habit for improving your communication. Tell me about why you added that and why you want to perform it three times this week. You know, and then I'll tell them and next week they'll say, so how'd you do? Did it work out? And this group is constructive and we bounce ideas off of each other and that leads to better action. So all of these things, I talk about how to build an accountability group, how I build a, a tracker in my book, but you know, those are some of my favorite ways for getting more reading done. And I guess the, the last note that I want to add there is that if you have an activity tracker, if you're setting an intention, if you're meeting with an accountability group, you'll get more out of the books and therefore the books become more valuable. And when they become more valuable and that value is obvious to us, we're more likely to default to reading because it's like getting paid $10,000 to finish a book. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I love this idea around an accountability group. So something that my wife and I do every night for dinner, we sit down and we ask each other, what were your biggest wins, win or wins for the day? And what's really interesting is when we first started to implement it, it was challenging, I think, for my wife to come up with, with some wins or a win for the day. And then as the habit started to go on longer, she knew that we were going to be sitting down for dinner and we were going to be asking each other the questions. So through the day, she was very intentional about observing her wins, like, boom, okay, that's something that I can bring to the table tonight. So I think even if we don't have an accountability group, even doing it with a spouse or a roommate, and therefore throughout the day, you know, I got to prepare for this later. I need to be intentional throughout the day rather than kind of bouncing around life and not being intentional about what we're doing and why we're doing that thing. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I It reminds me of a practice I started maybe six or seven years ago, which was writing three things that I'm grateful for every single day. And at first, I'd have to really sit back and think, what happened yesterday? Like, what was I grateful for? And then eventually, as I repeated the activity, I started filtering for those gratitude moments, and they became so much more obvious to me. And so I could write a thousand things that I'm grateful for about just today alone, because I've been doing it every single day for so many years now. And I'll, I'll share a little tip with your audience. I actually do a gratitude time capsule at the end of every week. And it's been so meaningful. So what I do is I pull out my phone, wherever it is, and I hold it up on Sundays, and I just talk for one minute. Here are the best things that happened in the last week. 
and I timestamp it. I upload that to a Google Drive. It how you know it's categorized by year with folders. And so in the future, I'll be able to go back and watch an entire year, 52 one-minute videos, an entire year's worth of gratitude in less than one hour. And not only will that bring me energy in the future, and I'm sure it will be cool to remember, oh, wow, I can't believe that happened, or I remember being grateful for this, but I'll be able to share that with my friends and family and kids one day. Like, how cool is that going to be? That's awesome. I I love that idea. So what have you witnessed through that so far? As you watch back on those videos, what is bouncing around in Nick's mind like, wow, I sound different, I look different, I thought about the world different. Like, What are some of the things you observe as you're digesting that information, that, that time capsule? You know, there are so many ways to feel fulfilled and they're not always as easy to quantify as money. So that's sometimes why I default to money examples. But the first thing that comes to mind, Scott, is a couple of years ago, there's like a, a gratitude video. It took me a while to find. I don't know what week it was, but I'm sitting there like fist pumping about a couple hundred dollar deal. And then even last year, there's one where a couple thousand dollar deal came into the business and I'm like, let's go, that's crazy. you know. And so just, I'm a completely different human, a completely different business now in 2023. Like those things are still exciting, but they're not nearly as meaningful as they were to me back then. And so there are tons of versions of that, you know, interview guests that I've landed, you know, trips that I booked, like all sorts of things that, seem to be these huge highlights. And they were, I mean, they brought me so much gratitude and joy and fulfillment back then that they wouldn't move the needle now. And I think that sometimes we hear that comparison is the thief of joy. I think comparison creates joy when you compare it to yourself, your past self, and you see all the progress that you've made. And, you know, it's always a good time to pat yourself on the back. And and I'm sure you feel the same way if you listen back to episode number one of your podcast, like, what a different person you've become. Yeah. So I have an uh, accomplishment doc that I'm constantly adding to and also reviewing. And one of the things that I love to do is if I'm hard on myself about writing and recording an episode. So it takes me between, you know, I write eight to 11 pages, sometimes 12 pages for a 20 minute episode. There's a ton of research, ton of writing that goes into it. I'll record that episode, no lie, five or six times. If I have an ad read, on the episode, which could be 30 seconds, 40 seconds, 50 seconds. I'll re-record it 50 times. And it's not because I'm seeking perfection. It's because I know I'm better than what I produced and my character and my name goes on that thing. And it means a lot to me to give 110% to whatever I'm doing because now my character, my name is attached to that thing. And I owe it to myself and I owe it to the, the audience too as well. And I think those moments of reflection are are really powerful. And Natasha and I actually spoke about this, is that it's interesting how a lot of us go through life mastering the same level. So we just play the same game. We know the moves of the boss. We know the level, you know, where there's going to be a dip, where there's going to be a fireball, whatever. I don't play a lot of video games, but you get the idea. Then there are those that step up our game and are going to the next level. And once we master the level, then we go to the next level. And so I think also the idea of looking back at where we've come from is to acknowledge and understand, are we moving up in our game of life? And that perspective and that identification, I think is really important when we do compare who we are today and who we were yesterday and where we were yesterday. 
Yeah, listen, you and I are cut from the same cloth. We're speaking the same language. I I love everything that you just said. It gets the Nick Hutchison stamp of approval. And, <laughs> um, you know, I, I went as far as uh, what I would do is I would recap. So I would journal and recap. I built a structure around this quarterly and then annually, like setting goals and then following up. Did I achieve them? If so, you know, did they matter? If not, why not? Setting goals for the next quarter or year always looking back to compare what was working, what's not working. You know, that's something that I, I really feel like I took from Tim Ferriss, who journals every every workout, every every piece of food that he eats, how he's feeling. And so if he's ever falls off track, he can go back to, you know, the lead measures, the actions that produce the ideal outcome that he's looking for. Right. But I do think it's important and I do warn myself about this and other people. There is a point I believe for most people where you can over measure and you over and index into data. And then I think the other thing that happens there too, and this is for a lot of individuals that consume a lot of content and read a lot, right? It's important to also create white space and have our own original thoughts and to allow our thoughts to kind of float to the top because they become so muffled in all of the information that we're digesting. And I think this is really why I loved what you said earlier on focusing on the 20% that will drive the 80%. It lowers this overwhelming feeling like, oh my God, I'm kind of running in every direction, throwing a sticky note here and writing a note here and, and doing this. And you know, admittedly, that can happen to me sometimes when I read as well. Yeah, one of my favorite ways to make sure that you're you're playing with novel information and using your brain a lot, you know, you're not consuming, you're also thinking. It's a concept that I took from James Altucher. He calls it idea sex. I call it book sex. And uh, what you do is you take two totally unrelated miscellaneous notes from two totally unrelated miscellaneous books, you pair them together, and then you journal about how you would combine them. And so an example might be maybe you read a book on intermittent fasting and on leadership and delegation, and you mash them together and you go, huh, I wonder if I could intermittently delegate information, you know, and, and bunch everything together into a memo once a week rather than delegating every single day and follow, like who knows what the idea is that you're going to come up with. But that's something that I like to do uh, to sort of keep the juices flowing in my brain. I love that. Consistent tinker of ideas and matching things, smashing things together and saying, do they stick? Do they fit together? Is there something that is applicable for, for what I'm dealing with? I, I love that. And you've done it with your book too, right? Rise of the Reader. Tell us a little bit about the books, your hopes for the book, intention behind the book and, and where people can find the book come November 1st is the release date, right? Yes. You can find the book everywhere that books are sold online, at least. And uh, check out bookthinkers.com if you want to find the link to it. I wrote the book. I mentioned this a little bit before, but I wrote the book because so many people in my community were having a tough time translating information into action. And so it has all of the things, the frameworks for scheduling your time, taking effective notes, implementing information, setting up the accountability group, the trackers, the whole nine yards. But like we talked about before too, you know, I, that's the technical stuff. There's also this idea that all of us are capable of doing more. Most of us are living under our potential. And if we can leverage the tools and tips and strategies and hacks and frameworks that successful people have left us by reading their books and implementing them effectively, we can be a better version of ourselves. I think 
you know, I try to view life through old eyes sometimes. I want to make sure that when I look back, I'm not going to regret playing too small, not being bold enough, not taking enough chances. And, you know, when I look around, like I mentioned earlier, unfortunately, so many people just, they play under their potential and they're okay with that. And uh, for the people that aren't okay with that, you know, here's what I did to go from full of ego and totally insecure to focused on impact and service and totally confident and secure in less than a 10-year period. Like it's accessible to everyone because these books are available for free in some places at libraries. They're really inexpensive. And if you have more time than money, you can read. I promise you that. Netflix won't get you there. Instagram, if you follow the right people, can help you get there. But books will certainly help you get there. And I just, I genuinely believe that. So anyway, long story short, I wrote the book so that other people could follow some of the habits and behaviors that I've installed that have improved my life, created genuine fulfillment, as well as health and wealth and happiness, because those are important variables to it. Yeah, I would say three of the most important pillars to drive us forward in life. Well, Nick, this is a this has been awesome, man. I I wish you nothing but the best with the book launch. I'm sure it will be very successful. And good luck September 7th for the event with uh, Lewis Howes there. I, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. You have a lot of great speakers lined up for that too as well. Yeah, man. Hey, thank you for hosting a great podcast. Thank you for the opportunity to share my book and some of the things that I've learned with everybody. I hope it resonates. And for anybody in your audience that wants a personalized book recommendation, it's one of my favorite things to do. So everybody can shoot me a DM on Instagram at bookthinkers. Tell me a little bit about the problem you're facing or the skill that you'd like to improve. I might ask some follow-up questions, but I'll get back to everybody because it's one of my favorite things. And I'll even follow up. There's the accountability. I'll even follow up and see if you've read the book and if you need help implementing it. So I hope that helps too. Thanks for listening to The Motivated Mind with your host, Scott Lynch. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into why choosing not to read is limiting your potential with Nick Hutchinson. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Motivated Scott. Don't forget to join me every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. I love you all and thanks so much for listening. Motivated Mind is a legacy division.